The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. If you would turn, to, turn with me to Psalm 42. Read Psalm 42, the whole psalm. Psalm 42. <clears throat> As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, and therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God. Let's pray. So, Lord, we are very, very thankful, as we've already sung about and prayed about, heard a welcome about, that you sent your son Jesus, emptied himself by taking on flesh, was born of a virgin, took on that sinful flesh, came into our brokenness and our mess, lived the perfect life we couldn't live, died the death we deserved to die, rose again to conquer death, and then sent His Spirit to make much of Him and help us see. And so we're praying again as your, your blood-bought people, the people that have been caught up into that story, that you would again come by your Spirit and make much of Jesus in our hearts and our minds as we look at Psalm 42. Pray that you would, by your Spirit, comfort and convict, encourage and exhort. Uh, you know, you know every heart in this room, you know every heart watching online right now. And God, by your Spirit, you love us enough to speak to every single one in ways that I could not have anticipated or prepared for, but you did because you love us and you want us to see you and magnify you. So come and do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Advent is the the time of year where we look back on the first coming of Jesus. He came and he, he did live the perfect life we couldn't live. He took on flesh Uh, came down from the perfect eternal joy of the Trinity to to take on flesh and live that perfect life so that, like Daniel said, he could die on our behalf and then rose 
again to conquer death. So we, we look forward to his second coming because we're so sure by his power and his presence at work in us and among us that his first coming was real. That he, he really came. He really died. He really rose again. And we're counting then on the reality that he's really coming back. And he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes and make all things new and bring his people to their final resting place where they will enjoy him forever. I love Advent. And I remember being younger and I didn't love it so much. And now I, I love remembering his first coming in anticipation of his second coming. This year we're going to hang out in the Psalms together for Advent. And the reason we're going to do that is that I know as a pastor that Advent and Christmas and these seasons bring all sorts of mixed emotions for all sorts of people, right? The, the advertisements would have you believe that it's all happy and lights and perfect, and yet I know as a pastor that it brings all sorts of sadness and struggle and grief over loss and and all of that is mixed together. Some of you feel both. Some of you feel one one week and one the next week, depending on what family you're interacting with, right? Some of you feel all of it all the time. And the Psalms, they give us words for our feelings. They give us expression of our hearts. And the other thing we're going to do is hang out in these traditional themes of hope and peace and joy and love that have been celebrated by the church worldwide throughout history, and they're being celebrated even now by churches around the world. And I think there's a reason the church throughout history has celebrated these themes and returned to them year and year again. And it's because in so many ways, these are the foundational things that Jesus purchased for us when he came. <laughs> these are the foundational things that we can bank on. They're what Jesus came to get for us as the blood-bought family of God. And so my prayer is that these themes will encourage your souls, and not only that, but actually leave you experiencing the reality that they talk about. In other words, what I've been praying is not just that you would know more about hope, but that you would have hope. Not that you would know that there's peace somewhere out there, but that you would experience that peace. Not that you would know that there's joy in Jesus, but you'd have joy in Jesus. All those themes I want you to not just know, but experience. And the Holy Spirit has to do that. And this week's theme is hope. Now hope in the Bible does not mean the same thing that we mean when we use the word, right? We, when we use the word hope, we say things like, we hope it doesn't snow too much for us to travel to see family, right? We, we hope that. Or we hope we don't get sick. Or we hope circumstances get better. Or we hope the diagnosis isn't serious. On a lighter note, some of you probably hope the Vikings don't play the Cowboys in the playoffs. But all of those things, all of those things are fickle. Right? All of those things are fickle. When we say hope in our world today, we simply mean that we want something to happen and we have a kind of low-grade anxiety that it, it might not happen. And it's okay to want certain things, right? It's not bad to want to see family. It's not bad to want a good diagnosis. None of those things are bad. But that kind of hope 
is really flimsy. And that kind of hope can never sustain our very fragile hearts. It just can't. Because sometimes circumstances of life get worse, not better. Sometimes we don't get to see family. Sometimes we do get sick. And sometimes the diagnosis is really serious because this world is broken and this world is fragile. And when things don't go our way, it's enough to shatter our fragile hearts if they only have a kind of paper-thin hope. But that is not the kind of hope the Bible talks about. Praise God. Praise God we're not banking on that kind of hope. When the psalmist and the whole Bible use the word hope, they're talking about our souls clinging to rock-solid, unshakable promises to us of a God who is completely for us and whose plans cannot be stopped. When your whole world gives way, remember, we have a God who is completely for us and whose plans cannot be stopped. When we hope in God, we are hoping in things that will certainly come to pass. Certainly come to pass. Therefore, the hope we are talking about is firm enough to be an anchor for our fragile hearts in a fragile world because they're not anchored on our circumstances. They're not even anchored on our emotions. They're not even anchored on our experience. They're anchored in Jesus Christ. I've been a pastor long enough to know again that some of you are coming to this season with great joy and excitement and nostalgia. And for others of you, it comes with great sadness and dread and loneliness. And so for those of you diving in with joy at kind of an adrenaline speed for this next month, my prayer is that you'll find a hope that lasts and won't wear off when the parties and the lights fade. And for those of you who are feeling the sadness, I'm hoping that there's a hope that will sustain you through the season and beyond. And it's the hope of Jesus that he purchased for us in his first coming and he will realize for us in his second coming. So let's dive in. First, we're just going to look at reality, turmoil and tears. Now, there's all sorts of commentators that go different ways. Most commentators here think this psalm could have been written by King David and then delivered at one of two times to his musicians that that would often put these to song. So perhaps when he was in exile, you remember when he was in exile and King Saul had driven him away from the people and was actually hunting him down? Or they think maybe it was written when his own son, Absalom, had betrayed him and had run him out of town. Either way, this psalmist feels very alone and is very far away from the people of God and just feels the circumstances of life breaking over him. And clearly, it's taking a toll, right? To the deepest level. He talks about his, his soul all the time in this psalm. I got to teach uh, about the psalms and truth on fire a few weeks ago and just was amazed again to think about the reality that the psalms are the songbook of the people of Israel, Right? They're just so honest. Imagine singing this psalm together. This is why I love that Pastor Nick regularly mixes in songs that admit our needs and our doubts and our fears and our sorrows because it's real life. It's reality. And the psalmist is not afraid to describe reality as it really is without any Facebook curation or Minnesota nice politeness. Right? This is the kind of psalm that you probably wouldn't hear confessed in a small group. <laughs> Why? 
What, why is that? I think about the people of God singing this in their worship services, and now it's made it into our Bibles for our good as the people of God. And it begs the question, right, how do we approach God? How do we approach Him when we feel alone in our suffering? Or when we feel like the pain is coming and it's just too much for you to bear? How, how do we talk to God? I wonder if we let ourselves cry out to the Lord as tears run down our face. Or if we feel like we just got to keep it all together. I think it honors God as our good shepherd who is for us and paid for us to be in his family by his blood when we bring him our pain. I think it honors him to do that. Look at the words of the psalmist as he describes how he's really feeling. Look at verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Or verse 6. My soul is cast down within me. Or verse 7, All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Or verse 9, Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Or verse 10, With a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, saying, Where is your God? I hope you feel the freedom to talk to God that way. What's the summary? He's being persecuted. He's exhausted. People are mocking him and his trust in God. He feels like he's drowning in his suffering and God has forgotten him in his mourning. He's crying day and night because of all of it. He feels alone and abandoned by his God and it only gets harder to trust and hope as the trials endure longer and longer. So if you're a kid in this room, here's what I would say to you about this. Sometimes life is really hard and really sad. That's okay. Maybe you know that as a kid already. Maybe you don't know that yet. But I want you to hear me tell you right now as a a little kid, if you trust in Jesus when life is hard and sad, I pray for you, your first instinct will be to talk to Jesus. To pour out your heart before him. To go to him in your hardest moments, your most angry moments, your most frustrated moments, your most sad moments, your most broken moments. You know what? He already knows. (laughs) He already knows how you're feeling. He wants you to come and talk to him. He will listen. He knows you're sad and he wants you to tell him about it. We have a merciful high priest in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that experientially? Do you believe that practically day in, day out? That we have a a merciful high priest in Jesus, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That's who he is. He has brought us into a family. He has paid for our sins by his blood so that we can approach his throne with boldness. He says, approach my throne with boldness. And what will you find? Condemnation? A furrowed brow? Anger at your weakness? I can't believe you're still acting so human. No, you'll find grace and mercy and well-timed help. 
Every single time, grace and mercy and well-timed help. Your fears and your pain and your sadness and your bitterness and your anger and your frustration, they're not too big for the God of the universe. They're not too out of control for the God of the universe. He made you. He created you. He remembers your dust. He's redeemed you so that you could bring those things to Him. So go to Him. Here's the reality of Advent. We live between the first coming where Jesus paid for our sins and gave us His Holy Spirit. Praise God. That is amazing grace. And and before the second coming where He's going to make all things new, which means a lot of things are still old and broken right? We still stub our toes and people still drive like fools on the highway and we still have cancer in the world and we still have, right, autoimmune diseases. We still have all this brokenness and all this suffering and all this pain because things are still old and broken to the very core. And in this age, sometimes life between the first and second coming is full of prolonged season of turmoil and tears. And I, more than anything else, don't want us to be a place that feels like we have to pretend that's not true. We don't need to be a place with curated lives and Instagram-level filters on our conversations in the comments. And I I say that all the time. I just want to keep saying it. right? Some say, why do you say blood-bought family all the time? I just want us to believe it. (laughs) Why do I keep saying we don't have to have curated lives? Because I want you to believe it. The first step to firm hope that can strengthen our fragile hearts is to admit we live in a world full of tears and turmoil. And the second step of finding firm hope we're looking for is bringing our tears and our turmoil to God. So I'm saying this because I don't think the psalmist gets to the point where he's preaching to himself and encouraging himself unless first he's just honest with his God about where he's at. This is a necessary step. You can't stuff it all and just go, it's all okay. You've got to go to God with your pain. And he invites us to come boldly to his throne. So point number one would really be in summary, keep talking to God. Keep pouring out your heart before him. Point number two, remember steadfastness and a song. So perhaps some of you are in seasons where suffering or sin has, has maybe dried up your soul and made you long for times when you're more near to God. Perhaps you've been in a season and you just can kind of remember, like, oh, I remember when I was in fellowship with God and I want more of Him, but I just can't even bring myself to have long devotionals. It's hard to pray and I want more of that, but I just can't. Maybe you feel guilty. (laughs) I should do that. I should do more. I should engage more. This is my own fault. And I would just say, that feeling you have in you, like, I want more of God, but I can't get there, that's from God. saying, come on back, come to me, right? This is what the psalmist says in verses 1 to 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? A deer needs water to live. That's the picture here. It's not optional, right? A deer can't go without water. 
That's the point. The psalmist recognized a deep soul-level thirst for God. So, kids, this, this is what the psalmist is trying to make us understand. Have you ever been outside, like on a really hot summer day, and you played for hours and hours with your friends outside, and you just went from one thing to another, and all of a sudden you just went, oh, I just need to drink a water so bad. And have you ever gone and like turned on the hose outside your house and gotten a drink of water right from the hose? It's the best thing in the world, right? In that moment, as your thirst is quenched and it just keeps coming, right? The water just keeps coming. Well, that's the picture that the psalmist is saying about God. He's saying he needs him. He's thirsty for him. His soul needs him. And notice in verse 8, that even in the midst of the turmoil, even in the midst of the sadness, that God has been faithful to this psalmist to give him what he needs. Here's what he says. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. By night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So there were, remember earlier in the first section, there were tears both day and night. Well, now there is steadfast love and a song from God both day and night. In other words, in the midst of the tears that are flowing day and night, God is meeting the psalmist with his presence both day and night. God doesn't leave his people alone for a moment of their pain. If he he feels far off, that's just your feelings. He's not far off. God does not leave his people alone for a moment of their pain. He doesn't abandon them for a second of their suffering. He turned his back on Jesus at the cross that he would never, ever, 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 ever turn his back on you and your suffering. Ever. He doesn't leave his people alone for a moment of their pain. Steadfast love means covenant love. It's sturdy love. It doesn't change with circumstances. God loves his people, and our God keeps his promises, and so our hope in them is a sturdy hope. Covenant love means that we don't look at our circumstances to evaluate if God is for us. That's what it means. We look at his promises and remind ourselves of his love for us. You don't look around and you go, well, this went bad and this isn't going right and I must have done something to make him mad here and this is horrible and this is awful, so God must not love me. You look at his promises and you say, he loves me. He sent his son to die for me, paid for my sins. He purchased me. He promises to complete the good work he started in me. I'm going to dwell in his house forever. The psalmist remembers that love during the day and then God gives him a song at night as he prays. I always used to um, read, it's one of my favorite psalms, but that part always just kind of made me go, what? What does that mean, right? By night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So is it him singing to me or is it us praying to him? And then as I've walked with people who are going through the darkest seasons of suffering, they have often testified to waking up in the middle of the night and singing a song (laughs) in prayer to God. I think that's what's going on in this psalm, that God is reminding his people of his love, and from their hearts is flowing a song from him back to him, (laughs) saying, you're true, and you're real, and while this weeping may tarry for the night, joy is coming in the morning. And brothers and sisters, we have 
a sure covenant love. We have a sure covenant love. Christ died, he came, and he shed his blood to bring us into his family. I hope that's more real to you today than it ever has been. He's promised to keep us and hold us fast. He's promised to bring us to himself. The Father promised that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our Savior is is praying, interceding for us right now, rejoicing over us with loud singing. He's put the Spirit in us to help us cry, Abba, Father. We remember the love of God for us in Christ during the day and we let him meet us with his presence as we fight our fears and our frustration at night. His covenant love is not just theoretical, but the love of God was shown objectively at the cross of Christ. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How will he not? He who began a good work, he'll be faithful to complete it. Those verses are in the Bible just for you to know how for you he is. What kind of God is that like? I'm just going to say, hey, remember I gave you Jesus? I'm going to give it all to you. I'm going to give you whatever you need. I've already done the hardest thing, the biggest part of it. I'm going to finish that work. I'm going to complete my promises. We We're rescued from our slavery to sin and brought into the family of God. And His love has been poured into our hearts by the Spirit so that we can remember. That's what the Spirit does. Just remind us of how much He cares for us, how far He's gone for us for our good and the glory of His name. Now, really interesting in this psalm, and I think a good word for us, is that in our individual culture, we might hear the psalmist saying these things, and we might just think, I just need to get on a good personal retreat. Right? I need to get some good alone time. Right? And I think those things are good and needed at times. And I think God meets us personally. But notice, notice where the psalmist is thirsting to experience God. Look at verse 4. He said, he's remembering, and he's remembering how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. He remembers back to the times when? When he was right here. (laughs) Right, when he was with the people of God, gathered in worship together with them. He's thirsty to experience God with others who hope in God with him. Right? He's eager to join his voice with others in praise to God. He's eager to celebrate with them with loud singing and festivals, which were the customs in the days that marked the goodness of God to them in different ways and for different things. They would come together. They'd sing of his goodness and the greatness of God. They'd come together and eat and fellowship with each other and with God and, and hear the word talked about and explained. Does that sound familiar? Like anything that we still do. There's something about being with the people of God that bolsters our souls, right? You just, you just can't do this at home. I just can't be encouraged the way I am here when I hear your voices singing, when I, I look around at rooms where I know that there's suffering and there's brokenness and there's pain and I see hands lifted. You encourage me. You bolster me. I want to worship with you. And that's what the psalmist is longing for. 
And this is really important because one of the things that's almost universal is that when suffering is long and painful and we're totally worn out, our default very often is to pull back from the people of God. I've just seen it over and over and over again. Maybe we stay home and watch online. Maybe we stop going to small group or Bible study or wherever you get your fellowship. You just pull back. And it's understandable. It's understandable why you pull back because it just hurts so much to talk about it. Right? We stop, we stop going because we can't fake it anymore. Or we can't pretend anymore. We can't hold it together anymore. And yet here the psalmist says what he longs for is to be strengthened by the people of God as they sing together and hear the word together and eat in the presence of God together. Even in verse 7, as he's far off, he says he's remembering the corporate moments together from even far away. So I hope, take away, that you see this people as a gift of God to you in order that it would strengthen your faith to make it to the end. Right? We, we don't remember alone as we remember. On this side of the cross, we have so much more to sing about together. We have a meal to eat together that remembers the crucified king who brought us into his family. We let the songs of the people of God strengthen our souls in suffering as we remember our suffering Savior and our sure salvation together. We let the prayers and communion with our brothers and sisters remind us that our hope is certain, the promises of God are true, and that he is a merciful and sovereign high priest who knows we are dust and promises to finish the good work he started. We let our singing strengthen others and their singing strengthen us. We lean in to the sure and steady hope of Jesus together as we remind each other of his sovereign, unshakable promises to us in Jesus. So exhortation, if you're suffering, don't lean away. <laughs> Don't lean away. Lean into this family. Maybe even lean in for the first time. Maybe even go to your small group and say what's real for the first time. Maybe even go to your Bible study and say what's real for the first time. Maybe even go to whatever group, wherever you find fellowship, and say what's real for the first time. And let God meet you with grace through His people. Don't stop coming to worship. Come and sing and be encouraged. Lean into this family. And if you're here visiting and not yet trusting in Jesus, Daniel was right and is welcome. We're so glad that you're here. We're so thankful you're here. And what we want most for you is that you would trust in Jesus so that you could have this sure and steady hope. And second, after that, we want to be a family for you that helps you and reminds you of that sure hope and wants to be here with you as you walk through the turmoil and tears of life together. So we remember his steadfast love. We remember his mercy. We sing and we pray to him. We pour out our heart to him at night. And we lean into the family of God to help us remember when the clouds of suffering block out the sunshine of salvation. Sometimes we need other people to hope for us and remember for us and then remind us as we walk through these seasons. And I want that for us so bad here. <laughs> I want it for us so bad to be this kind of people that does this together. Point number three, uh, being revived, preaching to our pain. This is verse 5 and 11. They're the exact same, so you can look at either one in your Bibles and you'll be just fine. It says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Notice 
this brackets. It's kind of the end of two different stanzas where the psalmist is reminding himself of what's true. Now, the psalmist obviously knows why he's struggling, right? This is a rhetorical question to himself. He's preaching to himself. He's reminding himself that even more real than his pain and suffering is the certainty of God's promises and salvation. And I love that it gets repeated twice because this is not a one-and-done kind of thing. (laughs) This is the kind of thing that you have to do every morning and every evening, right? You're going to need to say, okay, soul, remember his promises. Remember he's true. Remember he's trustworthy. Remember what he did for you in Jesus. Remember how for you he is. Remember that weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Remember it. This, this is the fight of faith. <laughs> Just keep saying this to ourselves until we begin to believe it. He's reminding himself that sometimes the dark night of the soul and seasons of suffering are long, but God's promises are longer. God's promises are more sure. They're more steady. He's reminding himself not to place his hope on the fragile world and fragile circumstances of his life because they will only shatter his fragile heart. And this is what I want for us as well. He's leaning into the sure hope and declaring that he will again praise this God who has noticed his salvation and his God. We are his and he is ours, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Now, I want to be clear. This is not an emotional working himself up to try to convince himself. It's not what's going on here. There are emotions involved, but this is not him trying to kind of produce adrenaline so that he can believe it for a minute. This is him declaring confidence in his God who meets him with steadfast love in the day and with a song at night. This is him declaring confidence in the certainty of God's promises despite how he feels in the moment. This is him remembering with joy the worship of God's people and remembering that that really was real and it really was good and it really was beautiful and it really was right to do for the God who is worthy. And he's remembering ultimately that his hope is not in this life, but in the life to come because the steadfast love of the Lord promises to bring him to eternity. This is a model for us to lean into our sure hope, to keep reminding ourselves of the cross, keep reminding ourselves that he's a merciful high priest, keep gathering with his people, keep remembering that these light momentary afflictions are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. Right? I just... Light and momentary often doesn't feel quite right, does it? (laughs) Light. It doesn't feel light. Momentary. A decade. Right? That doesn't feel light or momentary. But what's amazing about this verse is that it's in comparison to the glory that's coming. Light compared to that. (laughs) Momentary compared to that. So the more that you've experienced suffering and brokenness and pain, the more you have a taste for, oh, how deep and long and wide will the glory be. How good it will be to be in his presence for all of eternity. I hope we are a people here that cries and pleads and pours out our hearts and gathers and reminds ourselves and each other and clings to Jesus with complete honesty that we feel like it's too much and been too long. And we cling to Jesus with complete certainty that he will hold on to us and bring us home. That's what real hope is. In this Advent season, we remember the first coming of Jesus that purchased us by his blood. We thank him for that. 
And ultimately, we look forward to a second coming and the living hope that we have that death has been defeated, suffering will be done, tears will be wiped away, and we will be with Him forever when He wipes every tear from our eyes and makes every single last thing new. Right? No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. Let me pray. So Lord, we're going to come now to your table. And this table, this communion table, is meant to be a reminder to us of what you've done for us, of the, the certainty of our hope. You tell us to, to eat these and to declare your death until you come again. This is a, a meal that was made for living between the first and second coming, a meal that was made for your people to gather on to remind ourselves of our crucified King, our suffering Savior, who purchased our sure and steady and unshakable hope. And so, Lord, I don't know. I don't know what, what sufferings and sins are hidden in this room. I know some of them. I know some of the sufferings, some of the sins. I know some of my own sufferings and sins. But Lord, I pray that this would be a moment as we reflect on our hope that is Jesus, that this would be a moment where we would lay those things at the foot of your cross. You tell us to come boldly, find mercy and grace and well-timed help. So I pray, Lord, that where there are frustrations and anger and bitterness and fear and anxiety and brokenness, and sadness from the suffering and the sadness of this world. Lord, I pray that we would lay that at the foot of your cross, pour out our hearts before you and remind ourselves, why are you cast down? Hope in God. For I shall again praise in my salvation and my God. And Lord, where there are folks that are caught up in sin, Lord, I pray today would be the day you'd set them free by your grace. You'd remind them that you're for them and not against them, that your blood has paid for their sins and they're invited to walk now in glad, happy freedom of following you moment by moment, day by day. Help them lay those things at the foot of the cross. Lord, if there are those here who don't yet know you, I pray that this would be the moment of salvation. This would be the moment where they would say, my salvation, my God. And God, make us a family here that's honest and cares and clings to you with all honesty and all certainty in your promises. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.